And now, Greenlight Reviews, hosted by Ann Elder and Les Roberts. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once more to Greenlight Reviews, the show where we talk about the movies. My name's Les Roberts. And I'm Ann Elder. And today, Ann, we've got to discuss yes. one of the big blockbusters. True. It is called 2012. It is written and directed by Roland Emmerich. And Harold Closer also did some writing. And it stars John Cusack and Amanda Peet, Oliver Platt, Woody Harrelson, and Danny Glover. Thandie Newton. And Thandie Newton. And Chiwetel Ejiofor. And I think now we have named the entire cast of the film <laughs> who gets to talk because everybody else dies. This is about oh. December 21st in the year 2012. Mm-hmm. The Mayan calendar has said that everything is going to end on that date. And Son of a Gun it does. That's true. And that's the story of the film. Well, I'll tell you, those ancient Mayans, when they say something is going to happen, I'm telling you, you better listen up. Absolutely. (laughs) I think that this movie is all about cities being destroyed and iconic monuments crashing, but it's also about a family that's reconciling. And I think it was interesting that this family, headed up by John Cusack and Amanda Peet, and then there's the boyfriend played by... Thomas McCarthy. Correct. He plays Gordon Silverman. He's a plastic surgeon, I think. Yes, he is. And he and Amanda Peet, who plays Kate Curtis, are living together Correct. with their children. And John Cusack plays Jackson Curtis. He is an author. His last novel sold 422 copies. <laughs> now, Anne, I'm a novelist. I've written a lot of books. I'm not Stephen King. I'm not John Grisham, but I've sold more than that. <laughs> Well, what I started to say about what I thought was so funny about this movie is that that boyfriend disappears just so that the ex-husband and the wife can get back together again. And by the way, no one seems to miss him for the last hour of the movie. They don't talk about him. He was driving a plane at the last we saw him, I believe, and that was the last time we heard from him. We lose a lot of things. We lost Los Angeles. Now, you and I both lived in Los Angeles for many years. It all went bye-bye in front of us, along with Pasadena. And Hollywood. And Hollywood. And Washington. And San Francisco. Listen, that list goes on and on and on. My problem with this movie is that I don't mind a movie by Roland Emmerich. In fact, I've enjoyed some of his previous efforts. But I think in this one, he says that it's going to be the disaster film of all time. And I happen to think that that's a pretty good tagline. But after you've seen one disaster in this movie, and that starts to come into the movie about 20 minutes in. That's right. That leaves you with over two hours of non Stop. Disasters, CGI effects. Yes, it's a two-hour and 40-minute movie. That's a long time. It's a long time if it's a great movie. If it's a bunch of things blowing up, you really start jiggling in your seat. Well, I think when it's one stunt after another, you're ready to shout, enough already, end the world, and end the picture. (laughs) Because it was just too much. And there was not enough story to keep you engaged. So all you're really looking at is a video, a CGI video, like a music video, that just goes on and on and on. And there were no more surprises after a while. You can't be on the edge of your seat for two and a half hours watching John Cusack outrun the earthquakes and not get a little bit brain dead after a while. John Cusack, by the way, has never been an action hero. You're going to be surprised at him in this film. One of the problems for me, Anne, Uh is that the dialogue... (laughs) Such as it was. It was absurd. 
There is a scene where they're in a small plane and they're running, and Cusack has found the maps where they can go to be safe, at least for a while. Right. And he unfolds the map, and he finds out it's China. And, of course, they're flying over California. And he says, I think we need a bigger plane. Well, don't you remember that exact line from Jaws, we need a bigger boat? Exactly right. When Danny Glover, who plays the president of the United States, President Thomas Wilson, Mm -hmm. and he is a widower, and he is about to die. We know that. We see it coming. He's got about 10 seconds to live. And he looks up at the sky and he says, Dorothy, I'm coming to join you. (laughs) That is right out of Sanford and Son when Red Fox used to say, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. I mean, I was laughing through half of this movie. Well, look, there are way too many scenes with loved ones saying goodbye to family members. (laughs) And they do it with such gooey lines. I mean, the whole sequence with Thandie Newton saying goodbye to her father, as you just mentioned, played by Danny Glover, is so painful. And I understand disaster films have those kinds of scenes in them. That's part of the deal. But, boy, they really were on dangerous ground, I felt, in this movie because almost every line was laughable. And believe me, they borrow Emmerich and his team borrow from all of the great Irwin Allen disaster movies. That's right. There is a scene early on when Amanda Peet and Thomas McCarthy are in a supermarket, and they're kind of having a slight problem with their relationship. We don't know what it is. And he says, I feel like there's something coming between us. (laughs) And at that second, (laughs) the floor under them buckles, and there's a big crack that separates them. Right. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. And they do this several more times in the film where you're expecting something to happen the minute somebody says, "Uh uh-oh, and bang, there it goes. Well, now we have to talk about the actor who chews the scenery, and that's Woody Harrelson. He plays that crazy old man up on the mountain type of character very well. This time around, he went way over the top, I felt, in his performance, and therefore it went into almost a comic persona rather than a serious one. And I know what he was trying to do, but it really didn't work. I don't think Emmerich directed him very well. I don't think Emmerich directed him either. I think he was too busy blowing things up. Correct. There were so many ridiculous situations. Number one, when they finally get on board this ship, which is really an ark, they can only communicate with other people on their cell phones. Excuse me, they've destroyed the whole planet. Right. And your cell phone still works? Yeah, I want to know how they were able to get their cell phones to continue to work because you do have to charge them up every once in a while. And I never saw anyone putting (laughs) the charger into the uh, socket. So, you know, this is unbelievable. I can't get my cell phone to work in Aspen, Colorado, never mind, you know, under the sea. Okay, but now we have to be honest, Les. Okay. I didn't yawn during this movie because it was too noisy, for one thing. Yes. But there was enough up on the screen, eye candy, if you want to call it that, to keep me amused, shall we say, for a couple of hours. Well, that's very true, Anne. And while millions and millions of people supposedly died, this is not a horror film. We didn't see brains on the wall. We didn't see anything really gruesome like that. We certainly saw the entire Vatican City fall in on somebody, but we didn't see anybody bleed. So I was very happy about that. Sure. And I don't think that when you go to an Emmerich movie, you are going to expect to see any kind of quality acting or witty dialogue. That's just not part of the package. So I think if you're into CGI, if you love special effects, 
then you're going to not be disappointed by 2012 because this is a festival of special effects. It is. I wish that Emmerich or somebody else would do a film and come out and say, listen, there's no plot here. There's no actors here. We're going to blow things up and destroy things for two hours. It's really exciting. You're going to love it. I'd sit there and say, oh, I want to see how they do that. Instead of putting in embarrassing dialogue. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I thought it was a feast for the eyes and the ears, but curiously, when I walked out of the movie, I was hungry for a real picture. It's kind of an empty excuse, in my opinion, in flashy movie making. However, that said, I'm not going to give the movie a red light. I think it's a yellow light, and I think that a certain number of folk out there will find it an amusing adventure. I couldn't agree with you more, Anne. I didn't like the movie. I thought it was a waste of my time. But if you like this kind of a movie, I'm not going to tell you not to see it. So I am also giving it a yellow light. I think we're being very fair to Mr. Emmerich and his movie, 2012. I agree. Two yellow lights for the film, 2012. Boy, I hope we have something better to talk about next time. Until then, my name is Les Roberts. I'm Ann Elder. And Greenlight Reviews hopes that we're going to run into you seeing a film like this. And if it is a film like this, for heaven's sake, get popcorn first. <laughs> See you next time. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.